Welcome to the vodcast. As I'm recording this, it's been almost three years to the day since the United States government declared a national health emergency concerning the SARS-CoV-2 virus. In those three years, we've lived through a lot. Speaking for myself, I never thought I'd see the kind of things I witnessed in those three years. The actions of the federal and state governments were appalling. Yet they didn't surprise me anywhere near as much as did the actions of my fellow citizens. If anyone doubted that when the government pitches a narrative, any narrative, factual or not, a whole lot of Americans will buy it hook, line and sinker, that doubt should now have been replaced with absolute certainty that they did so during at least 2020 and 21. And I see no reason to believe they won't fall for it all over again the next time the government puts on a full court press of propaganda. But today, at the three-year mark, I want to assess whether Americans learned anything in the last three years. Let's examine that. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. In today's assessment, we're going to take the perspective that the government's narrative about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines is factual. If the narrative was or is true, then there are some significant lessons that should have been learned by the American people, at least if the American public cares about avoiding illness or death from SARS-CoV-2, possibly other upper respiratory illness-causing viruses, as well as other potential future disease-causing viruses, the exact nature of which we can't predict today. In the introduction, I said the actions of many of my fellow citizens surprised me. If I were to summarize my perception of their attitude and actions, it would be that the SARS-CoV-2 event was the most disturbing and dangerous thing to occur in their lifetime. They feared for their lives and the lives of millions of others. And in their minds, that fear justified any and all infringements of the unalienable rights of their fellow citizens. Presuming my perceptions of where their heads were, or are, is accurate, we might distill their sentiment down to this. COVID was monumentally important, dwarfing all other considerations, including the rights of their fellow citizens. Because they consider the SARS-CoV-2 event to be such a dire situation, one might think they'd take stock of what we learned along the way and do everything in their power to prepare to survive a future potential deadly viral outbreak. If they believe SARS-CoV-2 was, or is, a devastating life-and-death situation, then they'd be all over the changes they need to prepare for the next one. Right? In late March 2020, Italian health authorities released a report in which they said 99% of deaths from SARS-CoV-2 involved at least one comorbidity. Months later, estimates from New York State's health agency provided a lower number. It's been more than two years now, but I seem to recall New York State put that figure at 86%. In case you share this presentation on YouTube or Facebook, I can't say New York State's number was low or inaccurate. Facebook and YouTube don't allow anyone to say anything that conflicts with what the government says. So obviously, New York State's number was accurate because Facebook and YouTube say so. Is that science? With differing numbers from different jurisdictions, it's obviously impossible to fix the exact percentage of COVID deaths with comorbidities without performing a massive retrospective analysis of the data. Nevertheless, in a late 2020 presentation, I averaged a number of figures from different jurisdictions and settled on using 90% to discuss the role of comorbidities in COVID deaths. 
I'll use 90% today as well. Before we move forward, what is comorbidity? As used in the context of the SARS-CoV-2 event, it means a person has one or more existing diseases at the time he or she becomes infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Those existing diseases are almost exclusively chronic diseases. A partial list of the most common chronic diseases include obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, cancer, inflammatory diseases, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, and heart disease. I think almost everyone knows the number one chronic disease that increases the odds of a bad outcome from COVID-19, including the possibility of dying, is obesity. Knowing how many Americans view SARS-CoV-2 as a terribly dire situation, it only stands to reason those who see it that way have dropped all their excess body fat and are no longer obese, right? Right? As it turns out, no. If we go back to 2019, which was before SARS-CoV-2 appeared on the scene, according to the CDC, the percentage of obese people in the U.S. was 31.4%. In 2021, the last year for which data shows on CDC's website, that number was 33%. In other words, in the first 24 months of the SARS-CoV-2 event, obesity actually increased, not decreased. But more significantly, the upwards trajectory of obesity in the United States did not change or even falter. Obesity has been steadily increasing since 1980, and it continues on that same upward trajectory in 2020 and 2021, despite Americans knowing the number one indicator of a bad outcome from COVID-19 is obesity. In 2021, the National Institutes of Health published a paper entitled, quote, Cardiovascular Diseases on the Rise. So clearly, the people who scream about how dire SARS-CoV-2 is didn't do anything to reduce cardiovascular disease either. The number of people with hypertension continues to increase, prompting the World Health Organization to issue a new guidance paper on it in 2021. Of course, as could be predicted by anyone with their eyes open to who these so-called health agencies really work for, the guidance was solely focused on pharmacological treatment. No discussion whatsoever about how to lower blood pressure through lifestyle choices. A study in PubMed in February of 2023 projects that diabetes in young people may increase as much as 670% by 2060 if trends continue. The medical industry is currently salivating over the profits to be made from the increases in the number of people with type 2 diabetes. Because of that, the medical industry is pivoting away from obesity being a lifestyle issue and now want to consider it a disease unrelated to personal choices. Yet another example that follow the science is, in reality, merely a euphemism for follow the money. I am well known for the following statement, quote, every person with type 2 diabetes has made a personal choice to be or continue to be a diabetic, close quote. I wonder how long it will be until censorship platforms like YouTube and Facebook brand that statement to be medical misinformation in order to support big pharma and big med. If you pay attention to studies concerning chronic diseases, you already know there's been a dramatic increase in Alzheimer's cases, including Alzheimer's striking people at younger ages than ever before. Experts predict that from 2019 to 2025, there will be a 27% increase in the number of Americans with Alzheimer's. 27% in just six years. I can go on and on with these examples because chronic diseases are increasing across the board every year in the United States. 
Let's return to the 90% figure of those who died having one or more comorbidities. As of the week of February 11th, the CDC states that a bit more than 1,100,000 people in the U.S. have died of COVID-19. While not all chronic diseases are caused by lifestyle choices, in the U.S. the vast majority are. With that understanding, how many lives would have been saved if, after the Italian comorbidity numbers were released, the U.S. government focused its messaging on telling people how to get rid of their lifestyle chronic diseases. Let's do a little math. But before we do, in case people choose to share this video on Facebook or YouTube, I should tell their censors that the numbers you're about to hear are merely illustrative in nature, and I'm not asserting they are numbers provided by any health agency. Imagine the government's messaging to the public was the very best way to survive COVID-19 was to not have any lifestyle chronic diseases and told the American people how to get rid of them or substantially mitigate them within just a few months. And the American people listened and took the proper steps. In this illustrative example, if 100% of the American public did what was needed to get rid of their chronic diseases in just a few months, then 90% of COVID deaths would likely not have occurred. So... In this illustrative example, total U.S. deaths from COVID wouldn't be 1,100,000. They'd only be 110,000. If we look at flu deaths for 2017, 18, and 19, which was before SARS-CoV-2 appeared, 118,000 people died of the flu over those three years. Again, illustratively, if the government messaging had focused on taking immediate action against chronic disease and the American people listened, the number of COVID deaths over three years may have been less than the flu deaths over the three-year period of 2017, 18, and 19. Some people might say such a dramatic reduction in deaths would have significantly altered the public perception of SARS-CoV-2. Some might say that with dramatically lower deaths, there would not have been justification for the deprivation of rights on a mass scale never before seen in this country. Some people might say the government not making that the focus of its public messaging was responsible for almost a million more deaths than may have occurred. At this point, let's review the key takeaways. Number one, the presence of comorbidities increased the odds of a bad outcome from any disease-causing virus. Two, we could have an outbreak of another disease-causing virus at any time, and it could have a much higher mortality rate than SARS-CoV-2. Three, illustratively, Getting rid of lifestyle chronic disease could have reduced deaths from COVID-19 by 90%. In light of those facts, when we talk about preparing for the next viral outbreak, the most impactful thing each member of society can do to dramatically reduce serious illness and deaths is to get rid of their chronic diseases. So, based on that reality, has that portion of the U.S. population that was so fearful of SARS-CoV-2 that they supported mass deprivation of unalienable rights of their countrymen taken any steps to rid themselves of their chronic diseases? Statistics tells us the answer is no. Lifestyle chronic diseases in the U.S. population continue increasing despite what the last three years tells us about chronic diseases' impact on serious illness or death from disease-causing virus. So, and this is really my point today, these asshats who advocate mass deprivation of your inalienable rights to supposedly combat illness and death from SARS-CoV-2 are unwilling to make simple, easy, and rational changes in their own lives that would dramatically reduce their odds of getting ill or dying from the virus. Further, if they're unwilling to make those simple, easy, and rational changes in their own lives, they sure as hell aren't advocating their fellow citizens do so.
In other words, while they reject the easiest, most effective measure that can be taken to dramatically reduce serious illness and death, they are all about you being locked in your homes, shuttering businesses, having government decide whose jobs are essential and whose are not, forcing you to stay in some arbitrary distance from other people, limit the number of people who can enter a business, using the threat of government violence to force everyone to wear masks, and mandates that, that everyone get injected with an experimental drug only available under emergency use authorization. In other words, they choose not to do anything that would decrease their odds of serious illness or death. Instead, fucking with everybody else's existence. That's quite a trade-off. In my 2020 presentation, I discussed what the government could have said and done to save hundreds of thousands of lives after the Italian comorbidity numbers were released in March. Government officials could have held press conferences and gone on every news show in the U.S., and told Americans to immediately change their diets to one that would put them into ketosis and keep them there. It is quite literally a physiological impossibility to be in ketosis and get or continue to have obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, inflammatory disease, cardiovascular disease, or heart disease. Diseases like Alzheimer's can be prevented by living in ketosis, and when caught in the early stages, Alzheimer's can be corrected by ketosis. Remember I said a moment ago that the asshats were unwilling to do what was necessary to make simple, easy, and rational changes that would dramatically reduce their odds of getting ill or dying from the virus? I was speaking of putting themselves into ketosis, and since it is literally impossible to have the diseases I just named when in ketosis, the data indicate ketosis would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. So why didn't we hear a peep about this simple step to save hundreds of thousands of lives? In my opinion, there were three reasons. The first was that from the moment the first SARS-CoV-2 infection showed up in the U.S., people like Fauci saw it as an opportunity to rush mRNA products to market and get millions of people to volunteer to be injected. For Fauci and his co-conspirators in Big Pharma, SARS-CoV-2 was a wet dream. There was no way Fauci and other unethical creeps in government were going to recommend something that would end America's chronic disease epidemic before the mRNA products could be released on the public. To maximize profits, they needed Americans to be scared. If the public became free of chronic disease before the mRNA products were released, people would have been a lot less scared of SARS-CoV-2 and perhaps a lot less likely to want to be injected with a product that was only available by emergency use authorization. Second is that Big Food, Big Med, and Big Pharma, and their co-conspirators in government, knew that SARS-CoV-2 would only be with us for several years. Big Food getting rich selling Americans the food that makes them ill with chronic disease, while Big Med and Big Pharma get rich from the illness fallout, isn't something measured in a couple of years. It's measured in decades of profit, easily trillions of dollars. What would happen to the future profits of big food, big med, and big pharma if a large percentage of the American public could be convinced to dump the crap and get healthy in order to avoid serious illness or death from COVID-19? There was no way big food, big med, and big pharma, their bought and paid for shills in government, were going to jeopardize trillions of dollars in future revenue to save hundreds of thousands of lives during the SARS-CoV-2 outbreak. Just wouldn't make sense to them. Third, 
many Americans would have railed against any government official who suggested the American people should change what they eat in order to get rid of their comorbidities. Many Americans would rather die, literally die, than change their ways. A buddy of mine is a cardiologist. When he read my book, Body Science, he was floored and immediately began recommending to his patients the choices I discuss in Body Science. After a few months, he told me he'd stop bringing it up because only about 2% showed any interest in becoming healthy. The rest just wanted to keep doing the things that had given them the disease for which they were seeing him and simply be given a pill to, at least in their minds, ameliorate the consequences of their choices. In other words, only 2% were willing to change their behavior to end their diseased state. Phrased another way, 98% refused to change anything, preferring to remain diseased. Accordingly, how do you think the public would respond to a government official telling them the best way to be unaffected or minimally affected by SARS-CoV-2 is to make changes to get healthy? Should I bring up exercise without which the body's immune system will never operate to its full and proper potential? I should probably leave that subject alone for today. I often discuss the lack of self-responsibility for personal safety by the American public. Instead of understanding that the real world dictates each person is responsible for his or her own personal safety, the overwhelming majority of the American people idiotically attempt to shift their responsibility to the government, and then they whine like little bitches when the government fails to protect them from violence. What we've been discussing today is the exact same phenomenon, just addressing a different topic. Though in reality, it isn't that much different because both situations involve stepping up and acting like a mature adult, accepting responsibility for your safety. In one case, it's your safety from a violent thug. In the other, it's your safety from a virus. Yet, in both situations, it seems a whole lot of Americans want to shift the responsibility for their safety to someone else or everyone else. With so many Americans rejecting self-responsibility, is it any wonder this country is in trouble? I could easily double the length of this presentation by speaking to the issue of Americans abdicating various personal responsibilities. But I won't. I'll leave that for another day. Instead, what I will do is let you know that in terms of becoming healthy and getting rid of chronic disease or keeping chronic disease from developing, I've done my part to encourage people to accept responsibility and give them the information they need to succeed. I've done that by writing Body Science. Body science explains that for 60 years, the establishment has been bombarding the American people with propaganda about what results in good health and what does not. That propaganda has resulted in American society being the sickest people in all of human history. After laying bare the propaganda, body science then shows you what the real science tells us about human physiology. The difference between the real science and the propaganda is shocking. When I say real science, what I mean is science that hasn't been perverted in order to make giant corporations billions of dollars. If you're the kind of person who accepts responsibility for your health, you have to read body science. It's never received anything less than a five-star rating, and I routinely receive messages from people telling me body science saved their lives or the lives of their loved ones. A book that readers say saved their lives is probably a book you should read, is it not? It's easy to get body science. You just go to drreality.news, drreality.news. I'll put the link down in the notes. While you're there, check out Income Tax Shattering the Mist, which 
conclusively proves in an easy-to-understand way that Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans. Once you've seen what the law really says, then you can make up your mind what you'd care to do with that knowledge. So click on the link in the notes, get the education of a lifetime with body science and or income tax shattering the mist. Also, by purchasing body science and or income tax shattering the mist, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Thanks for being here. Take care.